your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, thank you for making us your first listen of the day, every day. If you enjoy the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast, be sure to sauce us a like, follow, or subscription on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, Odyssey, and YouTube. Doing so is completely free and ensures you never miss another episode. On tonight's podcast, I thought I would do a little bit of coverage on some events from around the NHL, and then, as promised, I have some early thoughts spending some early access trial period with the new NHL 22 game. I'm going to be diving into it throughout the week and give you some further impressions the deeper I go, but this is one of those games that obviously has a couple of face-level changes as well as some more structural stuff. I have a couple of... uh, mechanical thoughts about what they've adjusted whether or not i think it's going to be worth your money and ultimately just the fun factor but you know we'll give a more cursory level glance since i haven't spent a ton of time with it and as we continue to play a little bit more i'll give you deeper and deeper insights first off though we'll talk about a couple of major contracts that have been handed out we've got alexander barkov signing for eight years at around 80 million over that period which you know you're paying 10 mil per season for barkov which in my mind, is pretty fair. I mean, he's one of the best centers in the NHL. And even if Alex isn't quite on the level of somebody like McDavid or some of the other really high-end, high-end players, he's still an absolute beast. And if you're paying that much for him, you're absolutely getting what you pay for and then some. So I think Florida fans are going to be happy. I think the Panthers are going to be happy. Sasha, I'm sure, is thrilled to be signing long-term. It seems like he really enjoys playing with the Panthers. I think it's a good match. He is their their on-ice leader and continues to excel at such a high level. We've then got Mika Zibanejad signing for eight years at $68 million, which comes around to $8.5 million per season, which this contract I've got a couple of complicated thoughts on. On the one hand, I, I think you do have to kind of extend Zibanejad. If you're the Rangers, you're looking at a center who is your first-line center, even if his on-ice impacts are probably a little bit more modest than what you're hoping for. Now, the reason that I say you kind of have to keep him if you're the Rangers is not because I think it's a, a must-keep for rostering reasons and stuff. I think Zibanejad is like a bit of a fan favorite. He's a big marketing piece, and it's clear that he is a major part of the core and, and certainly a leader on the on the ice and probably in the room. It seems like he really enjoys thriving in that 1C role and, and certainly has earned a lot of respect from his teammates. I think he's become a better all-around player, and it just seems like he continues to score bucket loads. Now, where I kind of have thoughts and hesitations about the whole thing is when you start looking at his on-ice performance and you realize that the shooting percentage was extremely high, he had a lot of good puck luck, and there's a good chance that he's never really going to replicate some of these crazy numbers, this is where I, I think New York should never have signed this contract because he's kind of a free agent where you're darned if you do and darned if you don't. It's really hard to replace his impact up the middle, and he really is... I mean, he legitimately scores at the rate of a first-line center, but I think his overall impact on the game isn't quite at the level of somebody like, I don't know, Braden Point or Nathan McKinnon, and that's obvious, right? You're not really paying for that. A friend kind of compared him to, like, a slightly weaker version of Mark Shifley, which I think is a pretty fair comparison. 
Both are phenomenal shooters. They can create lots of even strength offense, but overall you might wonder just how forceful they are in the game and whether or not you're really paying for that sort of value with eight and a half million over that time span is it's a difficult question for a couple of reasons unlike shifley who's making around six mil per season and signed many many years ago when he was a lot younger zabanajad is what late 20s he's like 28 or 29 and this contract runs into his mid 30s right so that's not great for the rangers you're looking at a free agent who at this point really can only head in one direction, and that's probably a decline. It is possible that he continues to score at a very prolific rate, and maybe none of this is really a concern, but most players his age and as they start to get older, you see that decline very quickly. I can't speak to whether or not Mika is really going to be able to play at this level continually. Some athletes have actually had really long careers after altering the way that they're uh, their game plays so that they match their bodies and, and kind of work on their recovery rates, find better ways to have an impact, and honestly change their style to match where their recovery rate is at. I don't know if Mika is going to have that kind of aging curve, and I think that there is a legitimate question as to whether or not the cap space that he's going to be taking up would be better served elsewhere. Looking at the Rangers holistically, I, I'm not really sure where he fits in on the timeline of their continuum for development and rebuilding, so, you know, it's a tough call. I think the Rangers have a lot of promise in terms of being at least like a competitive team in the Metro Division and certainly in the Eastern Conference. I just don't know if it's at the level where I look at Zibanejad as a must-sign. It's difficult to really let him walk, and I think that that's the biggest problem, right? If you lose him for free, you don't get anything in return, and that's a big loss for somebody who is still a 1C right now. Like I said, it's darned if you do, darned if you don't, but I'm looking at the term and the price tag and it's just making me uh, a little bit unsure. I think that there are certainly a couple of seasons where it's not going to be a big issue. Maybe it kind of ends up like the Oshi contract where it gets signed and actually provides really good value so long as the player stays healthy. But, you know, Washington at the time, and, and still honestly to this day, was considered a true playoff contender and even a cup contender in certain seasons. The Rangers aren't really at that stage. They're basically stuck between, like, the hinterlands of a rebuild and being a semi-competitive team. Zibanejad, for me, doesn't really fall on either side of that spectrum. I think that he would need to be on a team that's actively considering itself a real contender. While there are certainly some very good pieces for the Rangers, I just don't know if it's really at the level where they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of the top teams and honestly emerge unscathed. I'm sure a lot of Rangers fans would disagree and think that they're actually going to have a pretty strong season, I'm just not sure about the whole yet. I think I need to see whether or not the sum of the parts kind of starts to add up really quickly because, again, there are some really good players. They've still got Panarin. Fox is incredible. Their blue line is starting to take shape and, and become a lot more, I would say, modern. Yeah, I think they've gotten away from a lot of the Dan Girardi days and a 1-2 of Truba and Fox in your top four should be pretty capable as uh, some of your top pairing Ds, so... Yeah, I mean, there's signs of promise, and if they have some really good goaltending from Shesterkin, it, it could end up really good. I just don't know about the overall picture and what the long-term future looks like. There will come a time when the, the contract term and price doesn't really matter for Zibanejad because at that point, the Rangers have already missed the window, and they're really struggling. So I hope for their sake that it doesn't end up that way, but, you know, the Rangers front office leaves me with a handful of questions that have yet to be answered. So we'll see what they do over the next couple of weeks and, and certainly into the regular season. Maybe the Rangers are further along than I think they are and they're ready for the next step. We're going to find out real soon as the regular season is right around the corner. In just a moment, I'll also discuss some of the Winnipeg stuff that's currently ongoing. There are some demotions and, and roster movements that honestly are more on paper kind of stuff. I'll dig into those shortly, but before then, I thought you should hear about why DirecTV is your number one streaming option for all your TV needs. 
Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV all together. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract whatsoever. So get rid of that clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. That's DirecTV.com. Stop waiting and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Go to DirectTV.com for more information. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. Thanks for making Locked on Jets your first listen of the day every day. We have some Winnipeg updates. I, I know that there's not a lot to discuss, but of course, lines are coming together, players are being moved around the roster, and there are some transactions that... Might make you uh, a little bit confused. Toninato and uh, a couple of other guys have been sent down, Noje among them. And the reason that Toninato and Noje have been demoted is to uh, to get some like paper transaction stuff taken care of. Brian Little's LTIR cap hit is still on the books. And so the Jets have to do a little bit of maneuvering to try and work some of the cap considerations into place. Uh, but regarding the current lineup, it looks like Connor Stastny and Wheeler will be the opening line for uh, Wednesday night. Which, yep, that's a line. It could work, I guess. I think Stastny and Wheeler together actually makes a lot of sense because both don't have a lot of foot speed. So if you have a more conservative, slower-paced line that mostly focuses on distribution and stuff, uh, I think that unit could actually work. You do, however, have to give them the right line mates to work with, and I think that's where somebody like Andrew Kopp on Stastny's wing might actually help a lot more. Kopp can be that really defensive presence and honestly grind along the four-checking walls and win battles that... Maybe Stastny and Wheeler aren't as equipped to handle. I also feel like the way that they're going to play together would be more effective at taking advantage of goal line scrambles, using their size and skill to work in and around the crease and create more low slot havoc. This line I probably would have run, you know, less than the first line, which I consider to be Connor Dubois, Ehlers, if that unit were to exist. As it is, however, we've got Cop Dubois and Ehlers together. I would still run this unit out more than I would run Connor Stastny and Wheeler together, but we all know that most likely the first line is going to be eating up the majority of the minutes. The positive spin is against the Ducks. I don't really think it matters how you orient your top six. It, you know, it's one of those situations where they could probably play any sort of combination, and because Anaheim's just not that great, I don't know that it would really matter. Going forward, though, I, I do have some concerns about CSW being exploited and, and matched up against a lot, which... I know the Jets love to use them as their best-on-best best unit, but it's just not really as effective as they think it is. The bottom six apparently saw a lot of changes, but the only unit that did stay consistently together was Harkins, Lowry, and Veselainen, which, um, yeah, that's a solid unit. I like Harkins in certain areas in terms of having maybe a, a good forechecking presence with good skill, but I feel like pairing him with Lowry, I'm not 100% sold on that yet. I'd have to see it in action just because... I tend to think Harkins really thrives when he has somebody with a lot of skill feeding him. If you have Lowry, who tends to be more of a grinding, forechecking kind of player, I don't know if Harkins will necessarily thrive there. The good news, again, is that he is playing with Veselainen, who actually brings considerable distribution ability and certainly space creation, so maybe this unit actually works out. I think it could be a lot better than having Kopp and Lowry together. That unit tends to get caved in whenever they get paired together, which is unfortunate. It's happened the past couple of years. 
I feel like they just need to be split apart, but for some reason, just like CSW, uh, Maurice really seems to like this unit, so we'll see what the Harkins, Veselinen, and Lowry unit is able to put together. If they actually show really good chemistry, maybe Maurice will actually keep it together. One of the last lines, though, that we ended up seeing was Perfetti, Nash, and Zvechnikov. Unfortunately for uh, Perfetti, he's not really getting much of an NHL look, and I do think it asks a very good question of what exactly the meritocracy structure with the Jets is like. I know that having veteran experience is very valuable. Anyone who says that that's not as important in pro hockey probably isn't being super fair with the assessment. I think that there are moments when veteran experience is really important, but it can't be trumped when it comes to the quality of a player and what they bring to the ice. If all you have is experience because your on-ice quality unfortunately struggles and lags behind the rest, then there's no real point in relying on that because the only experience that we're going to get is wanting to gouge our eyes out. I think the Jets need to understand that, you know, you are going to have to take risks, and I think that they've done a lot of that in this offseason, but, you know, you watch preseason, you've seen what these guys have done, and it's crazy to me to think that Cole Perfetti, who frankly outshined just about everyone on the ice at any time, isn't getting onto the Jets team in a season in which they really need to push for a cup, it's very confusing to me, and I, I'm kind of concerned about it because I feel like Perfetti, he he can learn and gain some valuable insights from playing pro hockey at the AHL level, but when it comes to getting used to the rigors of the NHL and getting used to the uh, the timing and schedule, the travel and all that, I just feel like it's it's odd to me that Perfetti isn't even getting an audition yet. He absolutely proved himself in preseason as being at least worthy of a couple of games at the NHL level. You wouldn't even have to burn his ELC, just a couple of games for a sample to see where he is. And if he's not really ready to stick, well, you can just send him down and he can dominate with the moose. But if he really is ready for a primetime role in the top nine, then give it to him. The Jets already know what they have in most of their veterans, so at this point it just kind of seems like a waste to not give Cole the audition that he frankly deserves and has earned especially considering the sort of talent and offensive ability that he brings. I mean, he's frankly video game level. Some of the stuff that he was doing in preseason was just jaw-dropping, and the ease that he pulled it off with was, frankly, astonishing. So, yeah, a touch on the disappointing side. And speaking of uh, disappointing, I think a lot of people were up in arms about Nate Beaulieu drawing into the uh, D lineup briefly. He, of course, filled in for Logan Stanley, which, like me, a lot of Jets fans kind of raised an eyebrow at. I, I feel like Stanley honestly deserves that spot over Nate. Beaulieu, every time I've seen him, just doesn't really bring anything that Stanley doesn't do better. And with all of Logan's faults, I would still take him over Beaulieu eating up that spot. So, uh, Marie said not to read too much into it, that Stanley should be with DeMello on the opening night, but going forward... Hopefully that remains the case. Even on Stanley's bad nights, I would still take him over Nate just because Beaulieu really doesn't bring a lot else to the team and unfortunately is relied upon for a lot of really critical situations like penalty kills and stuff where he just really struggles. So having Stanley draw in where he can be sheltered and have other players take on the mantle of that sort of responsibility, I think just helps the Jets out a lot. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Winnipeg's opening night roster and what you think about the shaping lineup. Be sure to let me know at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. For now, though, we are going to pivot to the last part, my last topic of the evening, which is NHL 22 on next gen. Before moving on to the virtual joys of video game hockey though, I thought you should hear a little bit about why Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. Are you someone who loves protein bars? Are you tired of all of your favorite protein bars tasting like ash and dirt? Maybe you're ready for a change. And as a fellow protein bar appreciator, I can tell you that Built Bar is your best alternative. It's the only protein bar that tastes more like a candy bar, with a 100% chocolate exterior and a soft chewy interior. It comes in several delicious flavors like salted caramel, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate, and so many other great flavors. 
Bilpar often releases very special limited edition, limited quantity flavors that once they're gone, they're gone for good. So stay tuned to their social media platforms and their website to make sure you never miss another flavor. As delicious as Built Bars are, they're even better for you, with most bars clocking in at around 130 to 180 calories, 4 to 5 grams of net carbs, and 17 to 18 grams of protein. Built Bars are perfect for every lifestyle, whether you're looking to maintain or lose weight. Placing your order couldn't be easier. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 at checkout for 15% off at Built.com. Place your order today for the best tasting protein bar on the market. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. Thanks for making us your first listen of the day. To close us out tonight, I did want to talk a little bit about NHL 22 as promised, give some cursory thoughts on what I think of the gameplay so far. I, uh, I've set all the difficulty stuff to like the max and, and certainly done a lot of the simulation aspects and stuff. I didn't change the sliders, so some of you purists out there, I'm sure, are like, turn it all the way up. I don't, I don't really enjoy that. So some of these impressions are going to be just out-of-the-box stuff from the 10-hour early access trial. The first thing that I noticed was that uh, the game looks very saturated for some reason. Like, the colors are super stark and vibrant, and I don't know if I really enjoy that. Um, it's a little bit different than some of the previous games that kind of had like a really gray, washed-out vibe to it. This game is just like really almost too clear with extreme contrast. So if you're not really into that kind of style, you may have to turn the brightness down or something like that. Aside from that, the visuals are, are generally decent, I would say. The ice looks nice. Um, the player modeling looks pretty decent. The jerseys are all right. The, the stuff that I kind of notice is that there's not a whole lot of attention given to like the crowds and some of the other details. It still feels pretty familiar. And then like the animations themselves haven't really seen a ton of attention. Some animations definitely have like the stumbling and physical interactions when guys are getting hit. That stuff definitely seems like it got addressed. And in general, I think that there's more animation variety, but you know, there's also moments where you kind of notice there's like a stiltedness to the gameplay and that's kind of odd to me. It doesn't really feel super smooth. Um, in terms of like the skating and locomotion and stuff, it actually does p feel pretty good. Um, and I say feel in particular because if you have a PS5, there's like a haptic feedback response where like the controller makes it feel like you're skating across the ice on your hands, which is actually pretty cool, I can't lie. But, you know, all of this stuff that I'm talking about is window dressing. How does the game play? And I think the biggest thing that you'll notice is that it's pretty hard to score and pass, right? Uh, the passing feels a lot more manual, which if you've played FIFA 22 this year, you know exactly what EA has been trying to do. There's more of an emphasis on focused passing and increased difficulty in hitting your target lanes. Pass receptions are sloppier. The aiming is a little bit more fidgety. I think in general it's better for the game, but you know only time will tell once the online community gets into it if it's going to take out some of the cheese factor like cross-seam one-timers that were just way too common over the past couple of years. Scoring definitely feels a little bit more difficult just because of the changes in the passing, but uh, overall that should be, I think, a, a warmly received part of the gameplay change. The other thing that you'll notice is the, the stick animations and stuff definitely do have more physical presence because of the way that they've overhauled that interaction. It used to be that sticks were very static, so, you know, they just kind of warp through players. They'd look a little bit weird, you know, very stiff. Now they collide with objects a lot more. They kind of roll off of players' backs. It looks like a more natural version, but, you know, that paired with the animations that are a little bit stiff, it just feels kind of odd to watch this gameplay. I'm used to FIFA where, you know, the animations tend to come off very smoothly. With NHL 22, it's a little bit harder for them to pull that off, but, you know, I think that they've done some stuff that I like here. Overall, I just feel that the game itself, at least the, the very brief uh, couple of periods that I've played, 
it feels pretty similar, right? Uh, you know, Hockey Ultimate Team is still there if you really want to grind it out. It does seem like the new X-Factors and stuff that they've put in, it's it's very similar to Madden, so if you like Mutt, which had, like, those upgradable cards and stuff, I think you'll dig this. For my money, I tend to be, like, a free-to-play kind of player. I'm not really interested in spending a lot on microtransactions, and it seems like Hut is going to require a lot of grinding this year, which is always a standard with Ultimate Team games, but you have to decide for yourself if you want to sink money into NHL points. Otherwise, there's plenty of offline content for you to dive into. I'm going to give the managerial mode a run through this week and kind of do some sim stuff and see how it plays. I feel like overall the uh, the presentation and stuff definitely got a facelift. The new broadcast cameras and like highlight reel cameras, they have like new depth of field effects. There's more, I guess, reflectiveness. In general, it looks very dramatic and has some cool camera cuts and stuff. But beyond that, I, f I feel structurally the game is very similar. The new X-Factor stuff that pop up in actual gameplay, you know, like the, the really hard slap shots, the diode and stuff... Most of that tends to be pretty subtle. I haven't noticed it a lot except in very specific situations. I think that could be, I don't know, maybe a bit of a sticking point with the community. On the one hand, the game wants to be and, and looks more realistic, but on the other hand, you add these sort of game-breaking elements that thus far I haven't felt like they've made a super huge difference, but eventually people will figure out the meta and start to exploit it, so we'll see how the community reacts. Just from my early impressions, though, you're probably wondering, is this game worth it? And and thus far, I'm not really sure I feel it's worth 60 yet. I'd have to dive more into it. There's a lot of changes that I appreciate, but I don't know if it's enough for me to really say, yeah, you know, over 20 and 21, this is a massive leap forward for the franchise. I don't think it is. I think it's a nice upgrade in a lot of areas that were, frankly, major sore spots, but even those upgrades feel not quite as significant as they should be. I'll give you more thoughts on the structure of the game as I play more and get more into the uh, the early access trial. Be sure to let me know what you think of the game so far, and if you've played any, you know, what are your thoughts so far on the 10-hour the access trial. Let me know at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. For now, though, that is going to do it. Thanks for making us your first listen every day, and now it's time for you to make sure you check out the CrossChecks live NHL season preview show, starring Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark. You can find them on Locked On NHL's YouTube page. The show will be this Tuesday, October 12th, running from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Mary and Andrew will tee up the new NHL season with a look at the key storylines from around the league, including drop-ins from our roster of Locked On NHL hosts, fantasy insights from Locked On Fantasy Hockey's Scott Cullen, and player award and Stanley Cup playoff predictions. Afterwards, don't forget to check out Locked On Fantasy Hockey, hosted by Scott Cullen, as he leans on his decades of fantasy hockey insight and experience every day to help you be the expert of your fantasy league. It's free and available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. As always, thank you so much for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!